Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Happy Easter, everybody. It's the Easter season. Who's feeling some Easter joy today? Let me hear you. Yeah, a little bit. If you don't have the Easter joy today, on your way home, get some of that Easter candy that's half off. That'll bring some Easter joy. But you know, Easter is not a one-day celebration. It's a whole season, seven weeks of Easter joy. So you got the joy now? You got it? All right. Some of you in front sections feel a little joy. That's good. Hey, I do want to say thank you to all of those. I'm echoing what Pastor Jacob said. Thank you to all of those who helped and served to make our Easter celebration wonderful. A lot of people behind the scenes. I wish I could name all of the people that were serving, but I want to say thank you. I am seeing, I am seeing Stephen May over here, and uh, he served in 678, not just in one service, but in both services. And uh, it's volunteers like Stephen that make Easter such a great celebration. So thanks, Stephen. Appreciate you, brother. I'm glad that you are here today. I am ready to jump into a brand new series talking about the supremacy of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ. We're going to talk about a big Jesus today. Before I get there, I want to pray the prayer for the week, which is in your printed bulletin, uh, also available online or the bulletin will stay online. You can get it there, but we do have printed bulletins now. I'm excited about that. And uh, we print the prayer for the week on the bulletin. And uh, so I'm going to pray this prayer in just a moment. But I want to do a little teaching before the prayer, if I can do so. Because we encourage you to pray this prayer all throughout the week. We give you the prayer for the week on Sunday. We encourage you to pray it throughout the week. And I want you to know what you're praying. And uh, there's a phrase in here that may be unfamiliar to you. We're praying this week, um, Almighty and Everlasting God, who in the Paschal Mystery... And that phrase may be unfamiliar to you and you may be too embarrassed to ask. And so I'm just going to tell you, Paschal Mystery is simply shorthand church language for the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we talk about the Paschal Mystery. We're talking about Christ dying for our sins. We're talking about Jesus coming alive again, raising up from the dead. That's the Paschal Mystery. So let's pray as we get started and we'll turn our attention to the Scriptures Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Here in the Easter season, we are beginning a brand new sermon series entitled The Supremacy of Christ. We spend a lot of time in the Gospels. We spend a lot of time in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And there they give us the historical Jesus. The Jesus who died for our sins. The Jesus who was raised on the third day. The Jesus who taught and did miracles. And we need that Jesus. But in the epistles, which are epistles, the word that means letters, 
in the rest of the New Testament, we get a picture of the risen Christ, of the risen Jesus. And so here in the Easter season, we're going to be looking at the resurrected Jesus in the books of Ephesians and Colossians. And this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at a lot of Bible verses. And so I encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, to open that up, find Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to spend all of our time there this morning. So in the Gospels... And that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. We do see the historical Jesus. The Jesus of Nazareth, who was a real human being. The gospel writers bear witness to that. There's other historical writers. Josephus in particular, a Jewish historian that talked about Jesus of Nazareth. The gospel writers give us this clear picture of the historical, real Jesus. And we learn from that Jesus. Right? That's the Jesus that we are following. But in the epistles, we see the resurrected and ascended Jesus, the, the big Jesus. And so in the Gospels, we find ourselves following Jesus, who was raised from the dead. But in the epistles, and particularly here in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, we find ourselves in Jesus and we begin to find who we are and who we're supposed to be in Jesus. That's what we're going to see today. The Apostle Paul gives us a wide-angled, big picture of Jesus. A Jesus who was raised from the dead. A Jesus who was ascended. And a Jesus who is available to all people in all places at all times. In the Gospels, we see Jesus, and he's just one guy in one place at one time. But now the Apostle Paul has seen Jesus the way we see Jesus, resurrected, ascended, and available to all of us here in the building, available to you when you're, if you're worshiping online with us, the same resurrected Jesus available to you. And that same resurrected Jesus is here in this place. And so let's jump into Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to start at the end of the chapter in verses 22 and 23. The Apostle Paul writes, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church the gathering, is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. This is the New Living Translation. You may have a translation that reads differently. Maybe your translation says Christ who fills all in all. But I love the truth and the beauty of the New Living Translation here that speaks of Jesus in his resurrection, being the Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. This is the Jesus that we know. This is the Jesus that Paul knew and encountered. The Apostle Paul didn't encounter Jesus with the other disciples. Paul became an apostle later. Paul didn't have access to the historical Jesus any more than you and I do. But rather, Paul sees Jesus the way we do. The Jesus who fills all things everywhere with himself. 
Jesus, particularly Jesus in his resurrection and ascension, is not some small little pocket-sized God that we can shove into our pocket and pull out for good luck whenever we want him or whenever we think we need him. Whenever we try to reduce or minimize Jesus, making Jesus too small, we find a Jesus that's not the Jesus who is resurrected and ascension, who, who is ascended. If you are trying to reduce Jesus and make him too small in the words of J.B. Phillips, you have a God who's simply too small. This is not the Jesus who is. The Jesus who is is the Jesus that we encounter, particularly through this series in Ephesians and Colossians. This is the resurrected Jesus filling all things everywhere with himself. I love this book, this letter written by Paul to the Ephesians, particularly chapter 1, because Paul in this letter is painting a picture of a, of a big Jesus. And I believe that that's what we need. I believe that's what we need now in this age at this time as the floodwaters of secularism rise all around us. We need, a, we need our imaginations to be broadened to see a big resurrected and ascended Jesus. Have you ever had that moment when you have stood in front of something really big, like something massive, and it sort of takes your breath away. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe it's standing in front of a large mountain range. Or maybe it's standing at the beach at an endless seashore. Maybe it's standing in front of a, a densely wooded forest or a wide open meadow. Or maybe you caught yourself standing in front of something man-made like a tall skyscraper. But have you ever been in that situation where you're in front of something so big, so grand, so large that you kind of feel shrunken down and small? That, that experience where it, it, it takes your breath away. You're sort of swept away in awe at how big this thing is. This is what the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians. He, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is painting a picture of Jesus who is so big and so grand that it captures our imagination and we begin to find ourselves in that Jesus. And that's what I want you to see today. Jesus is not a compact little God you can pack away, but that Jesus in his resurrection and ascension is the big Jesus and you can find a home in him. You can find yourself, you can find your true self in him. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter one. Maybe we'll, we'll back up to the very beginning of the letter to see how Paul opens. Paul starts Ephesians chapter one, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is an apostle. Apostles are those who are sent. They're sent with a message. They're sent with good news. And for Paul, he was a, Paul was a Jesus kind of guy. I find it interesting that in all of Paul's letters, Paul doesn't directly quote from Jesus. 
which there's a sense in which I would expect that he would. If, I mean, Paul is, is obsessed with Jesus. He's a Jesus kind of guy, but he never quotes directly from Jesus. He makes allusions to the teachings of Jesus. And, and I've, I've discovered the reason why Paul doesn't quote from Jesus because Paul thinks with the mind of Jesus. Paul has found himself completely undone and renewed in Jesus. And Jesus has filled his mind and imagination to the point that he, he thinks in Jesus. He preaches and teaches and writes in Jesus. And Paul is now writing a letter to a group of Christians in Ephesus. And maybe you notice there in verse one that Paul is writing to a group of people who have also found themselves in Christ. And this becomes a reoccurring theme and pattern through chapter one of Ephesians. Again and again, Paul is talking about all of the, the good stuff, all of the blessings that we find and we find it in Jesus now, I want to read on from, from verse 3 through 14. I want to read to you 11 verses. I kind of want to do it um, in one sweep because Paul writing in the Greek language from verses 3 all the way through 14 is writing one long, breathless, run-on sentence. If Paul would have had an editor, the editor would have said, hey, Paul, give us a break here halfway through. Break this up a little bit. But Paul in his enthusiasm, Paul in that spirit of Easter joy, Paul who was consumed with Jesus, breaks into this, this, this teaching, this proclamation of all of the blessings that we have in Christ. And so I'm going to read these verses to you, and I want you to pay attention to the language. The language is so important, particularly that reoccurring phrase, in him, in Christ. You're going to see it in one place, in the beloved. Pay attention to how often we hear that phrase. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Strap on your seatbelts. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Take a breath, Paul. That's a whole lot of stuff you're throwing at us. But did you notice again and again what Paul is emphasizing? That all of this good stuff, all of this blessing, all of God's plans, all of our inheritance, all of this stuff is found in one place and it's found in Christ, in the resurrected Jesus. Now, while I'd like to talk about everything that's in those 11 verses, let's sum up with a quick review. Here's what Paul is saying to us. He's saying that God has blessed us in Jesus, that we are chosen in him, in Jesus. In him, we experience redemption. That is the forgiveness of sins. We experience God's lavish grace. In Jesus, there is a plan that God's going to unite all things together in him. In him, we have an inheritance. We get something out of this. In Jesus, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and our response is to put our hope in him and we believe in him. The language here, I think, is important because we experience these things not by asking Jesus into our heart, although that is popular language that I still hear, but that's not the language that Paul uses in Ephesians 1. We don't experience these things by asking Jesus into our heart. Rather, we experience those things by entering into the heart of Jesus. In other words, it's not so much about trying to get the resurrected and ascended Jesus to squeeze into your life, Rather, Jesus today is inviting you to enter into his life. And in him, you can experience all that Paul is talking about here. You'll notice that there's language early on, this was in verse 4, that we are chosen in him. This language of being chosen is an expression of God's desire for you and for me. It's God's desire for you to be a part of God's family. In other words, it's not just that God loves you, you know that, but God likes you. God wants you. God wants you to be a part of this covenant family. He is picking you to be on his team. Sorry for the sports analogy, but it's true. God wants you and desires you. He's picking you to be on his team. Now, I'm assuming that you have perhaps had that experience in childhood of getting picked last for some activity or game or something. I'm assuming that's happened to you. This, my friends, happened to me in a very painful way when our family moved to St. Joe when I was in the fifth grade. I was in the fifth grade, 11 years old. I was the age that my youngest, Dylan, is now, which is so weird to think about. We moved to St. Joe. I was a fifth grader, and I went to Bessie Ellison Elementary School. Anybody else go to Bessie Ellison? Any Bessie Ellison? Oh, yeah, on the camera. Thank you. Great. My favorite thing, and, you know, being in the fifth grade and, and being the new kid is intimidating. But my favorite part about elementary school wasn't lunch. It was recess. 
right? How, how many of you growing up in elementary school, favorite part was recess? And I have fond memories of playing kickball out on the pavement behind Bessie Ellison. But when I was the new kid, nobody knew me. And here's the deal. I'm just going to, a moment of vulnerability. Uh, I was always fast as a kid, so I loved playing tag. Tag was my favorite game as a kid. Hide and go seek, tag, any game with speed where I'm running, I liked that because I was always fast. I, I wasn't always good at hitting a ball, catching a ball, or kicking a ball. Because um, I, I was just all arms, awkward arms and legs. I was gangly and I wasn't very coordinated. But nobody knew that because I was the new kid. So here I am, the new kid, it's recess, and we're out there on the pavement, Bessie Ellison, and whoever was coordinating our activity and play chose the worst possible way to form two teams, and that is two captains picking two teams. I've coached youth sports for years. That is the worst way to make two teams, because you know what's going to happen. You know how this story ends. So you got two captains, and of course, these are the two super athletic kids that know all the students, except for the new kid. So there I am, and I'm standing there. And you remember what you did as a kid when you're standing in line getting picked? You're going up and down the line judging all the other kids. Like, I'm better than that kid. I'm faster than that kid. I bet I can beat him. And at least that's what I was doing. So I'm standing there, and you know how it goes, right? They start picking. And they're picking everybody else except for me. It's this long line of kids. You're seeing all these kids go. And then it's just me and two other kids. There's just three of us left. And I'm, I'm confessing my sins here. I'm totally judging these other unathletic kids. And I'm like, I got to be better than these kids. And you know what happens. They pick the kid on my left. And then it's just me and someone else. Then they pick the kid on my right. And then it's just me. And then you got to hear those dreaded words. Oh, I guess we get the new kid. And there I was, walking with my head down, I guess. I'll be on your team. Here I am. It's the worst feeling in the world because you're not even being picked. No one is picking you. No one is saying, I want you on my team. When you're picked last, you're not picked. By default, you end up on some team. The good news here in Ephesians 1 is nobody is picked last on God's team. All of you are getting picked first. When Paul says that in him we're chosen, this is expressing God's desire for you to be on his team. Not only does he love you, but he wants you to be a part of what he is doing. We also hear in this long passage that God has a predetermined plan, that God is predestining things, that he has this predetermined plan. Often we want to hear that as isolated individuals, but remember that Holy Scripture is, it's written by a community, about a community, for a community. When we hear about God's plan, don't think about God's plan in terms of isolated individuals, but think about God's plan for the community. That's what God's plan is about. He has this plan of forming a community around Jesus, forming a community in Jesus, people that will reflect the image of Jesus into the world. And God's plan of inviting people in and restoring people is a step in God's bigger plan of restoring all things, bringing all things. Notice in verse 10, it says that even heaven and earth will be united together in Jesus. 
God never designed for heaven and earth. Heaven, which is God's space. Earth, which is humanity's space. God never designed heaven and earth to be separated. It's through sin and death and human corruption that they've been ripped apart. But God has a plan that in Christ, he's going to bring all those things together. And then Paul prays for us. This is in verse 15. Listen to the words of this prayer. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's what Paul prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us, the community, the church, us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here's what Paul is praying over us. The apostle Paul is praying that we might know, that we might have this spirit of wisdom and understanding, that we might know the hope that we have in God, the hope of God's work of bringing things together. Paul wants us to experience that hope that we might know all that we inherit as God's children, as God's sons and God's daughters, that we might know God's power at work in us, that we might know that God is still working. You may not be able to see it. You may not be able to feel it. In your heart, you may think God has abandoned me and given up on me. But Paul the Apostle is praying over us that we might know that God is still presently today at work in our community and in your life. Eugene Peterson in his book, Practice Resurrection, says the most important thing about any one of us is not what we do, but what God does. Not what we do for God, but for what God does for us. It is because we know what God does in and for us that we are no longer lost in the cosmos. You can end your striving. You can end your seeking. You can end your wandering about because in Christ, you have a home. You have a place where you belong. And you say, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I fit in with these Christians, these church people, these Jesus followers. Know this, you are welcome. Know that you are welcomed because none of us have it all figured out. But what we are discovering is that we're finding true life. We're finding true meaning. We're finding true purpose in Christ. And God is working today and inviting you to be a part of what God is doing. And know this, you are invited in and Jesus 
has done all the work. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose for our salvation, offering all of us new life and a new start again and again. And so you say, what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if I try to follow Jesus? What if I try this Christian thing and I fail? Well, here's the thing. All things are made new in Jesus. You can start again. All things get renewed in Jesus. What we need to do is cultivate habits and practices where we become aware of the presence of Jesus with us. Here's what I believe that Jesus is saying to you today. This is what Jesus is saying to us today. Jesus is saying, I am with you. Jesus is saying, I will never leave you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. What we need to do is simply cultivate habits that bring us into an awareness of God's presence all around us. Because Jesus right now, whether you are worshiping online or you're here in the sanctuary, you're surrounded by Jesus. And the the most central way that Christians draw near to Jesus and cultivate an awareness of the presence of Jesus is through Holy Communion. And in just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand in just a moment and we'll pray our prayer of confession. But before we do that, I want us to prepare our hearts just to take a moment to cultivate an awareness of the presence of Jesus with us. If you're worshiping online, I encourage you to gather your communion elements. Get them ready. We're going to celebrate communion together. And hopefully if, if you're here in the sanctuary, you grabbed one of the little communion elements, you can have that ready. We'll get here in a second. But first, before communion, before our prayer of confession, I simply want us to pray for a moment that we might draw our attention to the presence of Jesus with us. He's here. Christ is filling all things everywhere with himself, including this place, including the place where you're worshiping. Jesus is here. But our our world and this age that we live in is structured in such a way that we forget that. But that's why we're here. That's why we're drawing near to the table of the Lord. You see, it's through Holy Communion that Jesus makes himself very present to us. Prayer, and we're gonna pray in just a moment. Prayer is how we make ourselves present to Jesus. So let's pray just a moment before our prayer of confession. And in this prayer, let's join our hearts together and let's draw near to Jesus. Maybe we can draw near to Jesus together by praying the Jesus prayer. It goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Maybe you can pray that with me. Let's pray that together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. If you're worshiping at home, join us. Let's pray this all together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. 
Jesus, we believe that you are here. We believe that through your resurrection and ascension, you are filling up the space all around us. And so Lord, we want to draw near to you as we receive Holy Communion. But Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. And Lord, let us turn everything over to you and draw near to you. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts that they might be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, in this moment, let us draw near to you in communion with you and let that communion change us now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now stand up with me if you're in the building. We'll offer our prayer of confession together and then we'll receive Holy Communion. Church, join me. Let's pray this prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. And now this is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. It is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. the blood of Christ shed for you.